0: Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne, bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. The first Sunday of the month at 7am on your favourite station, 3CR. 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. Listeners, you're tuned to 3CR Community Radio. Today on Herds and Curds, we welcome Will Studd, raw milk advocate, cheese importer, author of Chalk and Cheese, and producer and presenter of Cheese Slices. Hi, Will, welcome to Herds and Curds.
1: Oh, hi there, thanks for
0: having me. Well, it's great to have you here. Carmen and I were discussing how we think we interviewed you on Food Fight about 10 years ago about uh, your campaign with raw milk at the time. So Around
2: the uh, time of the... Yeah. I think it was the P1007 production and processing requirements for raw milk when that was being contemplated for the regulation change on raw milk cheese production in Australia.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. So what happened... Uh, was in around 2007 2008 uh, food Standards Australia New Zealand known as fazanss decided that uh, rather than look at applications on an individual basis uh, which they'd, which would be done for rocklaw they would look at changing the regulations for Australian cheese producers um, and and uh, that process started around 2000 as I say 2007. And it took them another decade before they came to a conclusion.
2: That's outrageous, really, isn't it? Mm. I mean, your experience—that's been mirrored in other proposals you've made. Um, and so, we do want to focus on on your kind of battle, your advocacy for real cheese production. Let's do this through your background in cheese production. Tell us what motivated you in the beginning to get involved in this industry.
3: Okay, well,
1: I got it. I got into cheese. Uh, <laughs> way back in the 70s in London and uh, believe it or not, searching out farmhouse and artisan cheese in those days was part of a counterculture Um, and uh, the world in those days was moving towards more and more industrial production. Uh, By that I mean block cheese, commodity cheese, etc. And the the small artisan producers were disappearing and it, it just took a group of people to stand up and say, hey, hang on a minute, we want cheese that's got some real character, that's got some, some, some real taste of place. Um, and in those days, I had shops in London, small, small deli shops, and uh, I guess it really started in the UK with chasing down a uh, cheddar producer who was, at the time, only allowed to sell their cheese, their farmhouse cloth-bound cheddar, through a national body uh, run by the Milk Marketing Board, the English Milk Marketing Board, that's been set up during the um, Second World War to control rationing, etc. It had virtually destroyed most uh, small farmhouse producers mm. uh, because they had to, they they went they were only allowed to make certain types of cheese for the war effort, and after the war there was still rationing. And uh, the, the milk marketing board controlled uh, the maturation of traditional farmhouse cheddar. And w- when you bought it, you really had no idea where it came from. It was it was traditional cloth-bound cheddar, but it came out of this big storage area called ways And was it uh, raw? Down, Um Some some of it was, yeah, yeah. And um, so most of it was in those days, yes. Um, uh, what happened is I was, I was approached by someone who said that uh, they they could sell me cheddar on the side, and, and uh, this, this cheese producer, which is actually quick Farm, they'd been they have been producing this um, raw milk farmhouse cheese, and they'd been unable to sell it through Crumpways. They couldn't get the price they they wanted for it, and uh, so when they approached me. I had some very old um, two-year-old cheese and I had these shops in London and I took it on and it, it, it worked really well. Well, when people tasted it, they go, this is the way cheddar used to taste, mm. um, which was fabulous. And we couldn't get enough of it. And actually, um, yeah, it, 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 was very, it was very successful and we made a name for, for that cheese and that sort of sparked an interest in the English um, side of ours and cheese. And at that time, we, Britain was just starting to experiment with, um, continental, as they called it, <laughs> artisan, uh, raw milk cheeses. So they were just starting to come into London and, uh, I was part of that. So I had a big cheese counter just off Sloan Square and, um, uh, that was very successful as well. It was, a, it was partly passion, but it was also good business. And so
2: at that time, were you reluctant to leave? I mean, that was a really changing, evolving cheese landscape in in England. Were you reluctant to leave that culture and come to Australia?
1: No, no. I, I fell in love with, with an Australian lass, Bonnie, and uh, I was ready to get out of London. When it came to raw milk cheese, it was, it was fine, but there were a lot of other social tensions and stuff mm. happening which weren't particularly um, nice. I had a young family... And coming over to Australia was was a dream.
2: And so you came in the early eighties, is that right?
1: Yeah, I, I arrived here in nineteen eighty one. Eventually, yeah.
2: And upon coming here, what was your your opinion of Australia's cheese landscape?
1: Oh, do you want an honest answer? I or do. Or... <laughs> we do. <laughs> well, it wasn't. That, I couldn't believe it. I mean, the, the level of the lack of knowledge was extraordinary. <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't any knowledge. I mean, Australian cheese scene seemed to be all about. Um, commodity,
3: mm.
1: and there's reasons for that, which I now understand. But uh, it was all about commodity, and uh, when it came to international cheese, it was all about commodity too.
2: What cheeses were we consuming?
1: Yeah, it's all about singles and block cheese, and mm. uh, the imported cheeses. Everyone got excited about Edam and Yolksberg, and
3: that's and, right. And, uh, mm. like yes, of course,
1: there was no local production. I mean, the only local production I came across was some rather sad camembert, which people proudly said this is made in Gippsland, and it was wrapped up in this really heavy-duty foil. And when you unwrapped it, it inevitably stunk of ammonia and
3: really, mm. was, you
1: know, really bitter and horrible. Mm. Um, I think I can say that now because I don't make cheese anymore. But it yeah. it was awful. So, but it was also a great opportunity for me because I'd come from this background in the UK where Palm house artisan cheese had taken off. So between when I started in cheese, started in cheese in, in the early seventies, and that, that Cheddar producer, um, and and by the time I got to Australia, uh, sort of six or seven years later, there'd been a revolution in in uh, UK in the sense the Milk Marketing Board had, uh, had 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 stopped controlling the maturation of cheese, and there were all these new producers coming along making really interesting new artisan cheeses from raw milk. And so when I got to Australia, it really wasn't a great stretch of the imagination to go, OK, um, that's, that's that's a trend in Europe. Why can't we have a similar trend in Australia?
3: Mm. I guess
1: even today, mm. if I think about it, that it's the same thinking. If I look at the rest of the world and then I look at us, mm. and part of what drives this idea to have raw milk cheese is that the rest of the world... Is enjoying raw milk cheese,
0: and here we are, still wondering
3: whether whether we're going to allow it. This is Stephen Pigram from Up Broomway, Yauru Country, and it's great to be down in Melbourne. And you're listening to Three CR Community Radio. Been here for a long time. Where I
0: Listening to Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne, and that was Cold Hands, Warm Heart with Cumulus. And we're in conversation with Will Studd, so let's get back into it.
1: Australia didn't introduce mandatory pasteurisation until um, 2001, 2002, when the National Food Authority was formed and it joined up all the states. Mm. So... In fact, there was raw milk cheese being produced in Australia in, in the 1980s. I wasn't aware of it, but there certainly was some. And uh, 20 years later, there still was some. So uh, cheeses like Heidi, um, Heidi was made from mm-hmm. raw milk um, in the 90s, and uh, Pine Garner was always made from raw, mi- raw milk uh, until until 2000.
3: Right. So, so two there,
1: was, there was raw producers. milk cheese. Was, but was it
2: only in Tasmania?
1: Uh, no, no, South Australia, we used to get a really good raw milk cheese too. But the, it, So until the National Food Authority came along at the end, I think it was 1998, the National Food Authority was formed. It joined all the state authorities into one national body. Before that, each state had their own regulations about how cheese was, had to be made. And and so South Australia and Tasmania, for example, allowed the production and sale of raw milk cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can I can remember getting a fabulous cheddar from I think it was, I can't remember the name of the gentleman, but he had two cows. He made a lovely raw milk cheddar, <laughs> so interesting. Very up and down in quality in South Australia, but yeah, you could still find that sort of thing. And, and uh, during the 1970s, Australia introduced regulations on the import of um, on the import of cheese, mm-hmm. and they introduced a regulation which. Said that cheese must be made from dried milk, or if it was made from raw milk, it had to be 120 days old. I think it's important to remember: until the National Food Authority comes along and changes all the regulations around 2001, it was possible to sell raw. It was possible to make, and it was possible to sell raw milk cheese in Australia, and it was possible to, to um, for example, sell cloth-bound farmhouse cheddar. Uh, made from raw milk because as long as it was 120 days old it was possible to sell rock for any, uh, any uh, cheese. And
2: so up until that point in um, with your import business you were importing all of those cheeses that you've just mentioned.
1: Yep, and we were allowed to sell imported raw milk cheese and we were allowed to sell uh, local raw milk cheeses when, when we could find it.
0: Mm-hmm. And so in 2001 that suddenly all changed?
1: Yes, so the National Food Authority Announced that they were introducing national regulations uh, regarding the uh, production and sale of cheese, and and they they said that cheese must be made from all cheese must be made from pasteurised milk or the equivalent in bacteria reduction.
2: Okay, and so do you think that legislative change was prompted by big industry industrial cheese production?
1: oh, Oh, definitely. I mean, in Australia. Australia, as a country, and its, its state authorities and dairy authorities, are generally anti the, the idea of producing uh, cheese from raw milk. Mm. But they just don't. They it just it's, They're scared of it. It goes back to um, a, mis, uh, a misconception when Australia uh, developed it, it, its industry after the Second World War, and really it based its industry on Denmark. And the idea of pasteurizing milk made a lot of sense when you're collecting uh, milk from many, many different farms and producing commodity cheese on, a, on, a, on an industrial scale. You've got no idea about the quality of the milk going into the cheese making and so the first thing you'd want to do is, is pasteurize it. And, and basically the authorities and the people responsible uh, in those authorities have grown up with this idea that all milk must be pasteurized because it was safe. It's mm. sort of part of the conditioning yeah it is. Um, Australia Australia mm. as a nation doesn't have a history of um, traditional artisan cheesemaking it's 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 really only um, Australian cheesemaking only really starts just after the gold rush when a lot of land was carved up to keep the gold miners from uh, happy and stop a revolution probably so you see vast swathes of Gippsland for example carved up the forests chopped down and Gold miners suddenly turning into farmers, um, and you find that, that Australia starts to produce cheese and butter for the first time to send back to Mother England. You've got to remember at that time in Europe, there's an industrial revolution happening. People are moving out of the country into the towns. They need to be fed. So and, but at, uh, at
2: that point, because I'm loath to believe that we we have a zero kind of culture of um, or history of cheesemaking, even though I say that all the time. Actually, <laughs> however. Um, <laughs> We we were settled by the English, and we were sending cheddar back. It wasn't always in an industrial context that that cheese was made. So we we do have some history, surely.
1: Well, the, we certainly have a history, but essentially that mm. that history was driven by commodity exports. Um, started with butter, funnily enough. Mm. Um, butter was the big the big hit at the time. There was a big price on butter in Europe at that time, and the first shipment of Australian butter. Got back to to um, England and uh, it was so rancid that they couldn't eat it. It was used for, to oil the, um, the cart, the cart wheels apparently.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But you've got to remember that there's a lot of things happening in the 1880s, I and mean, including the development of refrigeration. So until you have refrigeration, it really changes the whole um, perception about how you make cheese and and, and, and the quality of milk, etc. So one of the interesting things, for example, about butter. And I'm going to diverge here completely about this from what we're talking about. But one of the interesting things uh, when you look at butter is that until uh, the development of refrigeration, most butter was made from cream that was two, three, four, five, even a week old, because um, the, the herds were small. There often wasn't enough cream to make to be worthwhile to make butter, so that when Butter was churned into cream. Generally speaking, it it, it started to turn or it was cultured. Mm. And that's what we know as cultured butter. And that was the way butter was always made in Europe and the rest of the world until refrigeration comes along. And what does refrigeration do? Refrigeration uh, create, create, creates a situation where you can actually store cream at a cold temperature so that it, so that it stops developing And you can make what we call sweet cream butter. So the butter that we made in this country wasn't traditional cultured butter, Mm. uh, where the cream had sat for for days at a time uh, and soured and developed loads of flavour. It was what we call sweet cream butter. Butter is the reason why we enjoy cheese at all in the world today, because butter was what our... um, was uh, the, the, the reason people originally kept cows, it wasn't to make cheese. It was, it was for butter, particularly in Northern Europe, mm. because butter would keep. So that's why you find uh, butter in bogs in Ireland. Mm. Or you find that the Vikings, for example, uh, would pop out and put cows in places like Northern France because they, they could collect butter. And as long as you've got something to keep it in, like a pottery vessel, it doesn't matter whether it's soft or, or hard or hot or cold, it'll keep. It might go rancid, but that's a different story. It's still pretty useful Mm. if you haven't got anything else. But butter is a really, really important reason for why we enjoy cheese today. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it, so when you listen to it you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life and 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe the number is 94198377
3: You've been listening.
0: To herds and curds with Carmen and Leanne, and today we're in conversation with
1: Will Stud.
0: Tell us why raw milk cheese production
2: is so important to you.
1: Well, because it, uh, when you make cheese from raw milk, you, it reflects the genuine taste of place. Uh, the best way to describe that is is uh, to try, to try and understand that is when you pasteurise milk, you essentially destroy. All the flora in the milk that reflects where it comes from. You, you, you pathogens, non-pathogens. You basically you pasteurise it and, and you know you, you totally clean it. So mm-hmm. then, when you want to make cheese, you have to add back in starters. So in, it, when we, when we make pasteurised cheese in Australia, what happens is, generally speaking, we we pasteurise the milk so we clean it up so it's super super clean. It doesn't reflect any of the terroir of where it comes from and then we take a starter which generally is made by an industrial producer in Europe
3: mm.
1: and we add it back into the milk to uh to sour it and, and set it so that milk then doesn't reflect doesn't reflect where it comes from at all it reflects the choice of starter by the producer
3: mm.
1: and then in, in in industrial production we then um depending on the type of cheese say it's something like cheddar we'll', we'll um, make the ch- make the cheddar and then we'll vacuum pack it so that there's um, and, and mature it in, in, a, in a airless atmosphere so how much of that's really Australian
2: that's right and also I mean it's a very it's it 's a crying shame for small producers who make their own who produce their own milk who have a particular landscape with particular animals and particular animal husbandry that produces a fantastic quality milk and then to act, essentially standardize their their milk and their milk quality through pasteurization and then, as you said, mm. um, add an industrial starter, perhaps the same industrial starter that several other cheese businesses are using and how do you then express your individuality and how do you express your animals and the milk they're producing in that cheese?
1: Well, well, yeah, I mean, so, so when, we, when we talk about raw milk cheese, yes, it's very important to reflect a, a sense of place or a taste of place, but the implications are, as, as you pointed out, much, 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 much wider than that. Mm. So raw milk cheeses uh, also encourage a farmer to value add their product, which Um, because you can't make great cheese from poor quality milk. You need really good quality milk to make um, good quality
2: cheese. I think um, that's that's such an... Sorry to interrupt, but I think that's such an important notion to to also raise that the quality of the animals, therefore the animal husbandry, when it's a... You know, you have a farmer working closely with their herd with beautiful animal husbandry techniques or beautiful ethics around their production then that's a wonderful reason to also produce great quality milk is to actually encourage great farming practices and animal ethics.
1: Yeah, that's right. So animal welfare comes into it mm. and then you have pasture management comes into mm. it because you can't feed those animals rubbish. You need to feed them good pasture, good pasture management. And then when you get when you start extending that out, it also has um, overall land management, regional Absolutely. management... Um, and, and just to give you some idea of what's ha- what's happened in Australia in the last 20 years, the number of farms, small family dairy farms, I'm talking about cows' milk here, uh, the number of, of small family farms producing cows' milk um, has dropped in half.
2: And is that did that happen? Is that um, mainly to do with deregulation in? Is it the early
1: well, 90s, Yes, yeah, deregulation. It's deregulation of the industry exactly. and large cooperatives paying nothing. Uh, for milk,
3: mm. and
1: so the the, the way industrialisation works is, is to produce milk more and more efficiently, and that means that the farmers have to have bigger herds, which of course has implications for animal welfare and be more efficient. In, in the in the big world, that's okay, but the one one option uh, for those farmers, and I stress, it's only an option, is, mm. is that they could value add their milk mm. if they were allowed to make raw milk cheese. But they're not. That's, not. that's not an option that's even open to them. So the, there's no incentive to produce really good quality milk. And I, I have to laugh because, of course, the marketing story, and I'm going to get myself into trouble here, is <laughs> Australia produces the best quality milk on the planet, etc., etc. Et but we're not actually ever allowed to, to see that as a consumer. To
2: express that.
1: Mm. Because how, 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 how do we ever get to try it? If it's so goddamn good, why aren't we allowed to try it? But when I see, uh, you know... A herd of cows of five thousand cows. There's no way those cows can actually uh, go out and graze freely.
2: Well, they're no longer park. grazing animals, are they? They're not herbivores. Um, they're not ruminant animals. They're they're grainivores. In in that context, aren't they? Yeah,
1: exactly. Worse than that, then try try um, a little bit of palm oil remnant chucked in there. So you you'll. Start, if you if you check New Zealand and parts of Australia now importing container loads of um, the off- offshoots of the palm oil industry make the world a nicer place
0: there are
2: environmental implications of um, of uh, poor farming and a raw milk production um, enhances and encourages the opposite a great quality milk production and a great ethic around animals it's
0: and better land management
1: you got it and so 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 supporting the idea of raw milk cheese is is much more than just about the cheese. Um, it's, mm. it's it's a way of life, and it's 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 all it ticks all the boxes.
2: Mm. And and so, when did you realise that Australia needed a raw milk advocate?
3: <laughs>
1: I'm I'm not sure it needs a raw milk ad, advocate. I think it's a crazy position to find myself in. Um, what happened in two thousand and one? When the National Food Authority was formed and they announced this change to the regulations which, as I say, um, said that all cheese must be made from pasteurized milk or the equivalent in bacteria reduction, I pointed out that they'd just banned Parmigiano, Reggiano and Padano, uh, alongside the, uh, the, the small number of Australian producers that were allowed to produce cheese. And, of course, the, the imported cheeses that were coming in at that time with a 120-day shelf life, mm. um, minimum shelf life. And, and so um, uh, they, they were a bit surprised by that. Uh, the response was, oh, we didn't mean to do that. We'll have a look at it, which they did. Uh, at that time, I formed an association called the Australian Specialist Cheesemakers Association, With a gentleman called Andrew Wood, uh, Philippa from Philippa's Bakery, and Nick Haddo, and Richard Thomas, all got together and formed this association and uh, tried to lobby the government to change the regulations for Australian producers so they were allowed to make raw milk. But Fazans wouldn't listen, they wouldn't have a bar of it. Five, four, three, two, one.
3: You're listening to 3CR Community Radio.
0: This has been Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne and we've been in conversation with raw milk advocate Will Studd. We'll be playing part two of our conversation next month on the first Sunday of the month at 7am or you can listen via our podcast, Herds and Curds. And don't forget to check out our Instagram page, Herds and Curds, for more little updates about the show, what's coming up next, and some great photos too.